0: You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I'm on the coast of this wonderful podcast. On today's episode, something different. We are now in the offseason. We are now past most of the major... Uh, moves uh news and everything we're kind of in the summer league time and I thought it'd be good to talk about something Pacers related and that is Netflix's new documentary called Untold it's telling stories of untold sports stories basically and I did one they really I think it's the first one they released the malice at the palace the Pacers Pistons brawl from November 19th 2004 from a 17 years Removed from it, and I thought it was a really interesting documentary. So I think I'm just going to talk. I want to talk about it. Some of the impacts had on the Pacers, obviously since then, the Pistons since then, and really the league as a whole. So I think the the way to start with this is just to recap what happened. Um, I don't think I think most out there know exactly what what the Mouse the Palace is, but basically it was an all out brawl between the Pistons and the Pacers in the 2004 five season. At this point, the Pistons are defending champions. The Pacers were the one seed the year before and uh, have really even actually improved their roster and seem like they're on the cusp of at least being a championship contender. Now, who knows if they would have won the championship not. I could contend they would. They're a really good team, uh, led by Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, Stephen Jackson, and a, an a, uh, ageless Reggie Miller, who was on that roster. The Pistons, on the other hand, had Ben Wallace, uh, Richard Hamilton, Tayshaun Prince, Rashid Wallace, and Chauncey Billups, so both teams are really, really good. Um, The two best teams in the East that season, like, probably by far, frankly. Um, And so they've always had some some hot, some tensions building, right? The the 3 4 season was really kind of a, it was a buildup between the two teams. They had a really rough Eastern Conference Finals. Artest got thrown out of Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals for basically giving a forearm shiver to richard hamilton um and so it you know there already been some tensions building there was already a rivalry i mean i remember the first nba season i watched i was seven years old so a little bit is a little bit is is, uh colored by my age but i remember this there being a a pretty big rivalry between the two teams even in the regular season the year before they were just two really good teams they're two really good defensive teams they played really hard they were you know I would call the old school NBA where they were just like tough and they were, you know, they play these games where there was like, you know, the first one to score 70 would win. Right. And they were just, there was hard nosed defense. They were, it was a lot of like inside post play, you know, Ben Wallace was, a, was an amazing defender. One of the best defenders, I think in NBA history for the Pistons and the, the patient on the head, Jermaine O'Neal and Ron who were two awesome great defenders as well. And they're just, it was just like a very, like, like two very similar teams competing in a kind of an old school rivalry, frankly. Um, and so when it came to this game on in, in November, it was sort of the Pacers' opportunity to show, okay, you guys beat us last year in the Conference Finals. finals. We're going to go into your place. We're going to beat you. We're going to say that we're the team to beat this season. Uh, and they did that for three and you know three and almost really right over three quarters and tw- eleven minutes and fourteen point one seconds basically uh, until until all, all hell broke loose. Right. So what happens is Ronner tests. In a game, it doesn't matter at this point, right? They're up, they're up 15 points. Ron test basically shoves Ben Wallace, um, I don't know, because he wants to. It seems like Ortes obviously was always kind of a little bit of a unpredictable player. Um, he missed in the documentary, he just, yeah, he just, I don't know, didn't, didn't necessarily, he just wanted to shove, I mean, wanted to shove him, basically. So he shoved Ben Wallace, Ben Wallace gets really angry. Uh, the teams kind of erupt into you know a thing, I think I think I saw I remember seeing a few times throughout this you know the year before the Pacers Pistons get into each other's faces. There's a little bit of pushing shoving, maybe not a punch thrown, but you know just in in each other's faces essentially. um Nothing that was not unexpected of the era, whatever, right? It, there really shouldn't be much to it, right? Maybe the pushing to fight, maybe artistic two-game suspension, whatever. Like maybe five because he does you know whatever it is. Nothing that's like too much of a black mark or anything like that. Of course. It, it kind of uh, devolves, right? Uh, the documentary does, does a good job of this, but they point out that basically Ben Wallace was started throwing headbands at Artest, who at this point is not even involved in the, like, now the scruffle, right? Our test has gone to the side, and it's basically like Wallace and Steve Jackson trying to hold back Wallace, and a couple other Pacer players and coaches all get into it, and they're just trying to, like, hold people back, right? And Wallace starts throwing stuff, uh, and then fans start throwing stuff. Obviously, a fan throws a beer bottle and nails... Uh, Runner Tester then goes into the stands to try to f- basically fight the fan. Uh, then Steven Jackson follows him into the stands. Not a good move. And then fans start pouring onto the court. And the players are just trying to basically get off the court. Uh, punters are thrown from each side, from the fan's side and from the player side. They're just trying to get off the court. And it devolves into, like, fans throwing chairs and everything they could find at, all- at the Pacer players. And it just it gets really, really bad really fast. Uh, the end result of it is that the Pacers end up you know, basically tanking their entire season away from this game. Uh, Artest is suspended the whole year. Uh, Jermaine gets 25 games, but then is eventually reduced uh, to even less. Steven Jackson gets 30 games. I think O'Neill oh, only served 15. Uh, ben Wallace gets six games. Another player, I think, Johnson gets five games. Richard Miller gets a game, I think, for leaving the bench. Uh, Billups got a game. Derek Coleman got a game suspension. Eldon Campbell got a game suspension. So. Uh, yeah, a lot, you know, some severe penalties, right? I mean, Ron Artest loses his entire season, 13, 73 regular season games and 13 playoff games. Uh, and that's it. I mean, that, that's the, it, it basically shuts the door on the Pacers' opportunity to win a championship. Um, and I think, obviously, following it, there was a lot of um, blaming of the players, right? And the documentary just kind of shows that. And I remember it, too. Everybody, I'm going to use a word, but I don't want to think it's true. But everybody calling them thugs um, in the NBA, you know these spoiled players, right? It it, it definitely played into a time that you could see it wasn't was kind of an old old school mindset, and maybe is the right way to put it, where people were people viewed athletes in a way they don't view them now, right? I think there there's this concept back then, at least athletes, especially NBA athletes. Um, because they the salaries had increased so fast, players were getting like $100 million deals, that the NBA players were these spoiled athletes who made millions of dollars, and you know, still it didn't act like, and I'm going to use again, in, in quote-unquote professional, they were just, you know, and they were, you know, because they wore dreads, and because they had tattoos, and all this other stuff, they looked like they were not the, you know, st- you know prototypical, you know, athlete, right? Uh, I think Jermaine O'Neal has the best quote in the documentary, where he's like, they were, mad at us you know they were calling us all these names but in any other sport they glorify fighting hockey the guys literally beat each other to a pulp and they're okay, and fans are okay with that in baseball there's brawls and i mean those things even nowadays the baseball brawls are kind of just laughed at in some ways and they're in their their broadcast and there's not like this big deal now certainly the fan aspect of it is pretty rough but i don't think i don't know if that necessarily falls on the players. And I think in hindsight, that's what this documentary kind of does. And it paints this picture of like the reaction to it was the players were just in a fight or flight mode. And basically they like felt like they had, they was what they had to do to survive. And in hindsight, if you thought, think about what's going on around them, maybe they, you know, they were justified and they talk about how the court uh, or how like Lisa leaves because like the players were justified. And so to me, that's, that's where like this thing kind of, changes, and it's the most interesting part is just how the documentary paints this in a way that I think if this happened 17 years later, we had a whole different outcome. I want to talk about that next, but first, we need to get to some of today's sponsors because today's Locked On Pacers podcast is brought to you by Sweat Block. There are a few things in life that just aren't fun to talk about, and one of them, excessive sweating. You know the kind of sweating where you sweat through your shirt for no reason. It's embarrassing, right? I know this isn't life or death and there, there are worse problems in the world, but let's be honest, in the moment, this can feel like a big deal. Nobody likes to pit out during an important speech, interview, or first date, God forbid. I'd rather not worry about it and that's why you can use Sweat Block antiperspirant wipes. Wet block is stronger and more effective than any clinical antiperspirant. Simply apply it at night before bedtime, go to bed next morning. Then you wake up, wash and go about your day without worrying about sweat, guaranteed. I know this sounds too good to be true, but literally sweat blocks, use them once or twice a week and it keeps your armpits dry. No more pitting out, no more picking your shirt based on which ones hide sweat better. If you or someone you love is dealing with this, you need to check out sweat block. And you can get a 20% off at SweatBlock.com with the promo code Locked On. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for 20% off at SweatBlock.com. You also find their products on Amazon or at CVS. And we are also brought to you by our wonderful friends over at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet the baseball season in full swing and the NFL season is just weeks away. You can track all that action on BetOnline.ag. Get the latest news odds and info on all your sport needs including the mlb nba nhl nfl and all your ufc and mma action before the next pitch head over to betterline.ig on your laptop mobile device check out all the great news sign up bonus and content information use the promo code locked on that's l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n you get a 50 bonus on your first deposit i would personally go look at some of the future bets for the nfl i love future bets It's season you know 17 game regular season over unders for wins and whatnot. check all that out on betonline.ag because betonline.ag is your online sports book experts i think the biggest thing this documentary points out is how we have changed in our view of mental health and um NBA players have done a good job in leading in this in this realm now. I mean, we have from Kevin Love talking about it. I think Damon Lillard talked about his mental health as well. Um, players are talking about how they're dealing with with struggles and how they and how they tackle them and face them and run our tests. Is clearly someone who struggled with some mental health problems. Um, and I think in 2004, it was not right for him to admit them. Not right, you know. People call him crazy, whatever you want. Instead of realizing that he was dealing with something that was. A legit medical issue and that he needed help um you know they talk about the mentioned a little bit that ron just had a psychiatrist trial with him and whatnot um but you can tell just by the way our test kind of acted and operated in hindsight that he clearly has some has you know he said this even i mentioned a lot of anxiety depression ups and downs and it's it's hard for him to kind of be normal right i think I, i'm going back to when i was watching this when i was you know remembering the, in the moment, right, when I was, like, seven or eight, reading about in the newspapers, watching on TV and whatnot, you think, you know, as somebody who doesn't understand the bigger picture, you think this is just a crazy person who one day he wants to, you know, be in a uh, rap video, and then one day he wants to play basketball, one day he doesn't, and blah, 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 this and that, but I think in hindsight, you can kind of see he struggled with it, um, with, like, what made him happy, and right, and, and that's something that, I mean, I think as an adult, you start to realize that, like, even if you're paid millions and pounds, millions of dollars in playing a sport that I think we all think you should, you know, we all love. Like I love basketball. I'm sure our tests love basketball in some way. It can be hard in a job just want to do it day in day out, no matter what the pay is, because he probably our test probably to a point too where he's made enough money that like he feel like he has to do it. And then you know it's and it's tough. And I think if we lived in a world where mental health was more talked about in 2004, our test probably one is treated differently on the court in the sense where like. There's a more protection for him. There's people there like, you know, there was a fight to basically like stop him from kind of escalating it, right? Whether it's a counselor, whether it's whatever, it, there's just an, an, or the players maybe even have an understanding of that and know, hey, as soon as I find out, we got to take our test and take him to the locker room, right? Because we just don't know how he's going to react. He's so up, up and down. At the same time, there might've been a different reaction from players like Ben Wallace or the um, an opponents understanding that. And also at the same time, I think, as like I mentioned, they do. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Stephen Jackson says this: that Jamal Tinsley basically told our test, "You can now get get your foul um, during the game," and maybe that doesn't happen, right? Uh, you get the foul the sense that like, just you know, basically like whack Ben Wallace to you know, make up for last year's postseason. Frankly, was what it kind of was up, up, uh, implied as, uh, and so maybe it doesn't happen. I, I just think when you come in that aspect, it, it definitely could change. The, you know, it would have changed the way he was treated. Our test was treated, right? The other part of it that's interesting is is I think players, you know, they're, they're, the pictures had this tension, obviously, between O'Neal, ten, uh, O'Neal uh, Reggie, and Artest, right? Where I think Reggie, in the last season's career, understood that he wanted to win a championship, and this team could do it, but he couldn't listen to him, and they wouldn't listen to him. O'Neal was very much, like, on the cusp of becoming, you know, a great NBA player and stuff like that. And Artest just, like, didn't care, uh, frankly, about any of that. And he was kind of, you know, about himself and, in. in and he understands that he says in the documentary, he was about, you know, he didn't, didn't listen to Reggie. He didn't, he was jealous of Jermaine being in charge of the team and kind of being the leader. Uh, but I think if we live in a world where mental health is more widely discussed and understood that those problems maybe are different and addressed in a different way. Um, and I think that that's, what's really, you know, interesting with the documentary. And then I think too, uh, some of the language, obviously, I mean, I think the, Calling the players thugs in hindsight is kind of ridiculous. Um because you watch the videos, there were, you know, basically let's call it twenty thousand, probably less because they didn't it didn't a little bit, but like 10,000 10, fans descending on the court on them, uh, in this basically chaos, and they were just trying to get off the court at times. Sure. Our tests should not have gone in the stands. But like I said, if you if you think about it in a bigger context where this is a guy who can't really control his emotions, uh, has trouble with ups and downs. Maybe the, the, the reaction one isn't to spend him for the entire season. Maybe it's to make him, you know, basically like in depth, like an indefinite suspension until he addresses his, his mental health issues. Maybe there's more security there. I mean, there's things like that, that definitely would address that. And, and it seemed like the NBA felt like they had to scapegoat the Pacers players because um, even you see there's no pistons. They had to skip goat the Pacers players to protect their image, to protect their sponsorships. I mean, that's, that's part of it too. If we live in a world where it's today where that's more widely discussed is, is brands can't get away with that. Like the NBA wouldn't be able to get away with basically trying just to just protect themselves in some way that, like, by just blaming it on their players and not taking any responsibility for like themselves. Because I mean, that's the big documentary kind of paints at the end is that there were a lot of other – things that failed that led to the players getting in the stands that led to the melee, that led to, you know, chairs being thrown, that led to the punches being thrown, that if the NBA had taken some of the, the necessary steps that it, it did not after the brawl, it probably would have prevented this. And that's what I want to talk about next is like why the players were, you know, ultimately in the court of law considered justified in most of their actions, but still by the NBA were considered, you know, pariahs essentially but first we get to our last Sponge lockdown Pacers podcast and that is our wonderful friends over at built bar built bar is that wonderful tasting protein bar we've talked on this podcast for over a year now they come in a, a ton of amazing flavors like coconut cherry barcia raspberry mint brownie double chocolate salted caramel strawberry orange cookies and cream and german chocolate my favorite f- flavor of those nine, at least, personally, I like the double chocolate one. I'm a, I'm a big kind of sweet fans fan, I think. Uh, with built Bar, it's a great afternoon snack. at you in between, you know, your lunch and your dinner. Uh, I like it when I work out, too, because it's high in protein. These bars have 17, 18 grams of protein. They're only 130 or 180 calories, low in sugar and low in carbs. They're great tasting, and they're healthy. And it, they're to me, they're great for helping kind of uh, build or maintain my, you know, my muscle at times basically and so right now if you go to built.com it's a new website built.com your promo code locked 15 that's l-o-c-k-e-d-1-5 you can get 15 off your next order your Promo code locked 15 or 15 off your next order at built.com the documentary does a pretty good job uh, if you watch it of explaining how there was enough security in the stadium so basically, once this kind of on-court melee, fight, whatever you want to call it, breaks out, the fans can basically just flood on the courts because there's no one to stop them. And then at that point, the players don't know what to do, right? They're just basically like trying to, like, survive, right? I mean, I think Jermaine O'Neal punches punches a dude in the face, uh, doesn't connect with him, but you know, slides and hits him. Our uh, test gets into a fight with with another guy who just shows up on on the court, and they talked to those guys, which is interesting. They, those guys come and speak on record, and they feel like they, could, you know, I think they ended up suing the players or whatnot. But in the court of law, the NBA players, none of the NBA players were ever uh, charged with anything or whatnot because I think the the Detroit DA, basically, or I think that's who it was, whatever. I think they're in Oakland County because I think they're actually outside Detroit. Um, determined that the players were just trying to defend themselves after. Like, all hell broke loose, right? Like, Jermaine O'Neal, who I think gets, I mean, in this document, up saying that, gets basically hosed by this whole thing. Spended 25 games, and a judge throws out his suspension, so he ends up starting, only serving 15 of it. Um, Like, didn't do anything. He was basically just, like, trying to get people off of other people, trying to get to the locker room. People are throwing chairs. People are, you know, throwing popcorn, beer, whatever. I mean, t- to me, I think the, the the craziest thing of the whole thing is, and it's probably because it's, you know why would you? But the NBA never actually put any of the onus on the fans. The courts did, but the fans have some responsibility in this. And the fact that they basically like skated by Detroit did in, in a way, right? Uh, the, the team did, and the patients got so heavily hurt by It's kind of a, a a disservice, I think, to to like what really happened, right? I, like if you look about it in the bigger picture, right? The picture is basically championship window shut that that night right they were about a year in we will call it 10 games where they were like a legitimate uh nba championship contender detroit had five straight years where they could have won a championship right they made five previous conference finals from 03 to 09 or 03 to 08 i think uh they made two nba finals they lost one in seven they that season they lost it in seven like detroit barely suffered its fans the team continued to win i mean sure the specific fans who were you know doing like some of the most heinous stuff like throwing the bottles and chairs and all, and getting on the court and trying to fight players definitely got, got punished. Um, but like you'd watch the video, almost every fan that's left in that stadium is throwing something, whether it's popcorn, whether it's beer, whether it's water and whatnot. And really the ultimate was no punishment really. I mean, they changed the rules in the NBA for like what you like. I remember going to my first game post brawl, that game where like six Pacers played, like you now couldn't have bottle caps and you, the, you know, there are all kind of different things. So you couldn't throw it on the court. But the Detroit fans really never, um, you know, like as a whole had to serve a punishment for what was, you know, ridiculous behavior out of their fan base. And I think the best thing is when you there's a there's a clip um, post the brawl on ESPN. It's like I think it's I don't want to say who it is, but it's a bunch of ESPN guys uh, and they and they're mad at the Detroit fans. And then also the next day it becomes about the players. And certainly the players deserve some responsibility. Our test should not have gone in the stands, and that is clear. And that is but like I I don't know if he did necessarily in hindsight deserved the kind of thing he got. As much as he got Jamaica definitely didn't. Steven Jackson probably didn't either. But like and I mean, I think the 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 kind of secret of this this whole thing is that like I think no matter what happened in that game, if that brawl never happened, our test was heading for a a a blow-up point. Whether it was blowing up at his teammates, whether it was blowing up at another player or the fans. our test had been building that. I mean, you can he you can see it in the documentary. Now, he doesn't want to play basketball. He doesn't like being on the Pacers that much anymore. You know, there's a lot of, you know, underlying issues that he eventually gets over and, you know, obviously won the championship with the Lakers in, I think, 2009 uh, or maybe 2010, 2010, one of those years. He, and he, he gets over it and he finally figures it out. But, like, he probably needed this kind of instance to sort of reset him to to get him, you know— back on a path where he actually could play in the league because I, I just don't think I just think he had reached a point because he was kind of I think he was at the point where he was good enough where he thought he could be his own superstar on his own team but he wasn't mature enough to handle it and it just didn't work and at the end of the day I mean he said it; they all said it they it ultimately ended up hosing Jermaine O'Neal who you know basically primed his career gets gets gutted because he plays on a Pacer team it should be a championship contender and instead is basically middling around before he gets shipped to Toronto but like From 03 to 06, Jermaine O'Neal was one of the best players in the NBA, and that team should have been in conference finals competing every year, uh, and they weren't, and it's just – it sucks for him, frankly. And so I'm glad this is finally giving Jermaine O'Neal his his due, because he was one of the best players in the league. I mean, he was second in the MVP behind Kevin Garnett in 2003-04. You know, the Pitchers are a better team than the Timberwolves that year, right? They won more games, but – Cameron had a really great season. But, like, Jameleon was, was was definitely an MVP-type level player. Probably an 05 could have been as well. Or a 4 or 5 could have been one as well. Um, but, you know, he got, you know, things happening and he got screwed. I think it's worth watching. If, you know, I did i kind of recapped and talked about it. But I think it's worth watching and kind of getting your own opinions about it. Um, I thought it was really well done. Uh, I thought, you know, it's obviously a very pro Pacers perspective. But I think... You know, you can kind of just see from the fans they talk to just how, like, arrogant the fans are, and how the players feel like they wanted to defend themselves, and they were they are remorseful in a way the fans aren't, which I find is really interesting. think like, the players like understand the gravity of the situation, and the fans that were there don't. And frankly, the fans kind of feel because like they kind of won, right? They basically eliminated the Patriots from competing with the Pistons. They're the Pistons' the main rival in the East. That season, and the Pistons ended up having. Obviously, they win the championship, but they had another four-year run where they were really, really good. And the Pacers, you know, sucked basically since, since after the brawl. The Pacers weren't good after the brawl for till basically Paul George came into the picture. So, yeah, they they ultimately won, I guess, those the Detroit fans. So it's it's sad and it's, it sucks as a Pacers fan to look at it in hindsight, but um, it's good to look back and at least at least notice the changes that's happened and how I think. Like this, just wouldn't happen again because there would just be more discussion about mental health, and the players wouldn't be blamed right away. For um, there would be a, definitely a discussion about how you know the fans haven't called building it. So unlike before, that's all. The Godfrey's Locks On Pacers podcast. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with a weekly show, probably doing off-season grades. Uh, we are switching to probably three days a week in the off-season from about uh, what is it, August 16th through probably mid-September, so probably a four or five-week stretch till training camp opens up. But we'll still bring you shows three times a week, so check those out. Uh, as always you can follow our podcast at Locked On Pacers. Me at FreeMan5, my co host Tony's at Teast NBA. That is all for the Locked On Pacers Podcast. We'll see you guys again next week.